Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing well, Shotgun. How are you doing? Are you cold over there in New Jersey? Connor can see me. Uh, we do this over Zoom. You can see I'm, I'm bundled up right now. It is freezing up here. It's officially winter here in the Northeast. I was actually at the beach earlier this week. It was 90-something degrees at one point when I was driving down in Florida. I get back. And it's a city of gray and white. It's been that way for the 24 hours or so since. Just ice everywhere. I had to salt the driveway and go out and start the car so it could run for a few minutes to be able to warm. All these things, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just like, somebody was like, you got to go salt your driveway. I'm like, uh, I was tempted to like take out the, the salt shaker and go out there. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. But I know when the cold weather arrives, that does mean that college basketball conference plays heating up. So there is one positive, uh, which is what, what's taking place right now across the land, including in Southern California, where the USC men's and women's teams are in the thick of it, really. So women's team is coming off a huge win, a big Conference win, a big rivalry win, and a big momentum win. We will definitely be talking about that. For any first-time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Pair Style Podcast family of shows, and it's the first basketball-focused podcast on our network. So we're talking about the Trojans and the women of Troy. Now, every episode, we try to have a special guest on and talk about the teams and what's going on both in the past and in the future as we go through the season. This week's no different as we'll have USC women's assistant coach Courtney Jaco join us. Connor, you got to talk to her. 
I, I'm disappointed. I'll be honest that I missed out, but you got a chance to talk to Courtney since I was still traveling. Uh, what, what kind of stood out there for you? And uh, you know, what, what's the, what's the vibe around the women of Troy right now? She was great. And how could you not be in a good mood with the way the women are playing right now? And she's been a big part of that. I thought it was interesting shotgun for her career at USC, Courtney Jaco, who is a Trojan alum. She sh- she shot, excuse me, 35.8% from three, which is a record at USC. If you look at right now, the season stats, Mackenzie Forbes, Kayla Padilla, they're going to be one and done at USC, but they're ahead of that mark right now. And I know it's only one season, but they could take that career three point shooting honor away from Courtney Jaco. And she was a good sport about it. She said, I, I want that to happen. <laughs> Records are meant to be broken. That was a fun part of the interview. So uh, we'll see what happens as the year goes on. But I wonder, should that even count if you're only at a school for one year, a, a career mark? Sh- should there be some sort of two or maybe even three year bar that you need to cross? I don't know. We can talk about that. <laughs> That's It's definitely an interesting uh, concept. You know, it's a different, different world that we're in the, these days with graduate transfers and everything else. But make sure you stick around to hear that interview. First, though, we're going to take a look back at the most recent action from the USC men's and women's teams. And since we started talking about the women, women of Troy, we, we'll, let's start there. The big win for them, they welcomed in UCLA for the Galen Center iteration of the Crosstown Showdown. And the Trojans snapped a, a losing streak to the Bruins with a 73-65 win. Led for you know pretty much the, the last three quarters of that game were, were pretty consistent. Juju Watkins, 32 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, three steals, three assists. And you know, it, there was some some a couple of of uh tighten up, uh-oh, what's gonna happen moments late in the game, but USC was able to pull away. What what kind of stood out to you in that one, Connor? I mean, it was a you know an interesting matchup because it wasn't exactly the same matchup we saw the first game, which was really centered on the centers, the the post players. And in this game, we had some illnesses and stuff, so it wasn't the, the same matchup quite. I left it off the dock, so I just added it. I want to include it, the shared document we have for this podcast. Juju, 16 of 16 from the line. That was a big part of the story. We talk about how when the lights are brightest, she really shows up and not missing a free throw in that rivalry game. That stood out to me. I thought Clarice Akinwafo had a huge game for USC in the absence of Ray Marshall. Now she's in my triple double, so I won't get into it too much right here, but I thought she was so, so important. The box score might not totally tell you all that really she did in this one because defensively she was fantastic and it might not have always been a block shot, but just how she was able to defend some of the UCLA bigs with Rhea Marshall out was huge, not get into too much of foul trouble. So I thought she was really the unsung hero of this game. It was a little nervy at the end. A couple times UCLA got to within four points where I felt like USC, they defended well enough to step on the throat of UCLA maybe a little bit earlier, but at the end of the day, USC gets the win. And then just, this was another sort of chapter in the, Lindsey Gottlieb bringing USC basketball back, Juju Watkins, people getting excited about LA women's basketball. And it was a sellout at the Galen Center. There was NFL playoff football on on Sunday. So you'd think, oh, maybe if people were on the fence, they might want to stay home and watch some football. But that wasn't the case. Sellout. So many people are so invested in this team. And it's really awesome to see. So I I think that's a big part of it as well. USC showing that they're for real. They can beat one of the premier teams in the country, taking down UCLA. so, I mean, a lot to chew on there, Shotgun, but I, I think there's so many storylines in this game, and I start with those three. 
Yeah, and we'll get to it a little bit more in the triple double. Uh, you know, when we get to that. But I want to first go back. You talked about Clarice Akamwafu. We actually had a a email last week um, coming off the the podcast. I'm going to read that here. Richard sent us an email. It's a great pod the other night from Shotgun and Connor. Shotgun in particular has keen insights analysis. Connor as well. In any event, Shotgun spoke with the women's basketball game versus Oregon. Named two players off the bench who were particularly effective: Taylor Bigsby and Malia Samuels versus Oregon. It was the last uh, episode of the podcast. He said, "While I agree, I'm surprised he didn't mention Big C. That would be Clarice Akamwafu." While her play didn't show up in the stats like Samuel, she did a lot of the dirty work inside on Oregon's big center, who was somewhat ragdolling Raya Marshall and anyone else who tried to cover her, especially early in the game. Kudos to Big C. And I, I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, sometimes we can't get to every single player on here, especially, um, you know, when we're talking about the superstars like Juju. She takes up a ton of the headlines at the time of our time. But I, I think I think Richard's absolutely correct. And she has continued to be a big part and in this game, she had to step up even more because Rhea Marshall was not available due to illness. And then Lauren Betts on the other side, you know, she hurt USC the first game. And, you know, I thought Rhea Marshall did really well when she was on her. When anybody else was on her, it wasn't great um, in the first matchup. But Lauren Betts was also a little bit under the weather. She came off the bench. However, she still played 27 minutes. So it's not like she was extremely limited or anything. But Clarice Akinwafu helped hold her to 10 points in this game and only three rebounds after she had a big game in the first one. So uh, she was she was really big in this. And I wanted to give a shout-out to Richard for sending the email and our first email, truly, for, for the Triple Double Podcast. Uh, without just people complaining that we're doing a basketball podcast, you people can get out of here. We're, we're done with it. Especially when we're packing the Galen Center for this. I think that's the other thing that stands out it, to me the most in this game is Regardless of how the game was played, regardless of the outcome, regardless of which team won, to see these two teams play two weeks apart and both games be sellouts, I think that's awesome. I think that's partly the allure of Juju Watkins. I think that plays a, a huge part into it and the star power that she has. And then the fact that both these teams are really good. Both of them are top 10 teams. This is the first ever top 10 matchup in Galen Center history. As far as I know, when USC was referencing that, they're referencing men's or women's. So, you know, men's team isn't constantly in the top 10. They've been really good, but they haven't been constantly in the top 10. Uh, And for this to be the first ever top 10 matchup, you know, I think it lived up to the billing a little bit too. Uh, You know, you would love to have seen it being a buzzer beater like some of those USC UCLA men's games have been in recent history over the last five years or so. But this was a terrific game, and USC comes out uh, ahead in this one. So big game for USC and a big opportunity to big build momentum because this is not only beating your rival, snapping a losing streak against them, uh, but you know further reinforcing, okay, we are legit. You know they beat a top ten team in Ohio State to open the season, but you know that's two months ago. So you, you start looking at it, if you're the team, you know, not that they have lost anyone, but you want that reinforcement like, okay, we can really do this. And if you've been waiting and waiting um, for an opportunity to kind of showcase yourself and you want to show, okay, we are as, as good as we are. There's just reinforcement to the team. We can accomplish a lot of things this year. If we keep our head down, keep doing all the things that we're supposed to do, that type of thing. So I think it's a big momentum game going forward. And they're going to need it because they go on the road for what is the second toughest road trip in the Pac-12 this year um, in in women's basketball. Because the first toughest is coming to L.A. 
playing UCLA and USC is extremely tough. But going on the road to the mountain schools is always a challenging trip just because there's two flights there. There's the, the flight, or there's three flights, the flight in, the flight in between, and the flight back. It's the only trip uh, in the uh, in the Pac-12 that you have to do that. Now, the, the Washington one, you can do that as well. But the fact that you go and play the mountain trip where there's more challenges, there's weather, there's all that stuff. But you got two top 15 teams as well. And Colorado has shown they are legit as well. They beat LSU in that season opener, and they've only continued to get better uh, this season. They have one loss to NC State, who I think is in a top-five team right now. So, you know, it's a big momentum win, and we'll see what they can do as they continue to go because we've said it all all year is it's going to be a grind in the Pac-12 conference in uh, in women's basketball this season. Absolutely, Shotgun. And you mentioned the challenge of this road trip. I totally agree. Utah and Colorado, maybe not the traditional powers in women's basketball when you think of the conference, but they're tough. Alyssa Peely, a former Trojan, she is rolling right now in Utah. They have some injuries to some of their guards, so maybe that's a little bit easier than you anticipated, but I think that's a really, really challenging game. And then going to Colorado, they haven't lost anytime soon. Like like you said, they've beaten Stanford. They've, they've beaten Utah. They're all alone at the top of the conference, so it's sort of like a continuation of what we've said before the UCLA game. Can you make a statement? USC, they make a statement against UCLA, but you don't have any time to celebrate that now because you go to this hostile road environment. Can you make another statement? And then as the calendar eventually flips to March, USC last year, one and done in the NCAA tournament, totally a new team this year, but you hope that you built enough momentum to make a run. And then you have to check that box. So Lindsay Gottlieb, she's done such a nice job of, building this team and clearly the team is talented and they're having a special season so far, but there's still a long way to go. And I think they all recognize that. And it's really encouraging to see because one game, a win against UCLA, that's huge, but now it's on to the next thing. And there's going to be a lot of next things for this team as the calendar continues to roll. Let's go ahead and jump into our, our triple double for the women, uh, three positives, two negatives. Connor, what do you got for your positives this week for, for the women of Troy? Well, I got to start with Big C, Clarice Akinwafu. I mean, Lauren Betts played so well in that first game, like you said, and then not as much in game two. I think she had 15, 8, and 6 compared to 10, 3, and 3 in that second contest. And that's your backup center. So you'd think, okay, with with Ray Marshall not in the game, what what is Lauren Betts going to do this game? And because of Akinwafu's defense, it, it just wasn't the same. 31 minutes, a new career high or a new season high for her. So when she was called upon, she she really did well. She had a fourth quarter putback on offense that was huge, sort of gave USC some momentum. She was going really hard on the glass. I really walked away from that game impressed with her because I think early in the year, you didn't really know, can you rely on her in a big spot? That was sort of one of the big questions we had with this team. We know Juju Watkins is great. You know, Mackenzie Forbes has a lot of experience, but what else do you have? And against UCLA, I think you saw that USC has some really, really good front court depth. I know you want to respond to these shotguns, so I'll just go quickly. Defense, again, USC was awesome against UCLA on defense in this one. UCLA shooting 48% on the year in the first game. USC held them to 35%. In the second game, UCLA jumped up to 40%, but that's still enough to get the job done clearly. And I think defensively, we've said it on this show all year long, 
you can be streaky on offense. You can have Juju Watkins have some inefficient nights if you're playing defense at the level USC has been doing. So that was a big one for me. And then it was a team effort, I thought, in this one. So I mentioned Clarissa Akinwafu, mentioned uh, Juju, but I have here in my notes, all five starters had at least three marquee moments, in my opinion, in this one. Juju was huge, but it didn't feel like it was all her, where as earlier in the year when they go down to uh, the Caribbean, I think it was against Penn State or wherever that was, and it has to be all Juju at the end of the game. I, I thought Mackenzie Forbes had some nice moments. Clarice, like I mentioned, had some nice moments. Caleb Padilla had some nice moments. And my, one big question for me this year was, you got Juju, what else do you have? And I think the rest of the team is really showing improvement too, so that's exciting as well. Yeah, it, it, my three positives, you know, I Clarice as well. I had the defense. I, I said get out and shooters. They held UCLA to four for 22 on threes. That includes London Jones going one for six and Charisma Osborne going 0 for six. London Jones in the first game really killed them with the threes. You know, she had 21 points. She only had eight in this game, and it was the threes in the first game that really killed them. Because those can be, especially in a home environment, you knock down a three, those can be those daggers because that gets the entire crowd going and everything. So I thought the, the way they got out on the shooters was much better than this. And then my other positive was Slay the Dragon. I don't know if it was eight or nine in a row to UCLA, but the fact that they ended that streak, you know, it, it's one thing to be the top 10 team. It's one thing to get a ranked win, all these type things. It's another to do to win a rivalry game and kind of restake your claim in the city. And especially because this has become a city battle, you know, a battle for the fans. Because how many, how many casuals are there out there they're like oh usc and ucla are both good women's basketball maybe they don't have an affiliation to you know one school or the other or maybe they just don't have that much interest in women's basketball they see a top 10 matchup and they want to be a part of it so to go and get a, a win over ucla i thought was really big and i thought about the momentum a little bit ago i think that also it factors in there so those are my positives you know i, I thought that they you know played terrific and you, you mentioned that i thought it was really a uh, really great point that you mentioned that Everyone had their kind of moments in that in that fourth quarter in particular. You know, Caleb Padilla knocking down a huge three. Um, you know, Juju, she scored 32 points, but 16 of it came at the line. So that, you know, it's not those you know wow moments necessarily. And she didn't shoot great again in this game, only 8-22 and missed all six of her threes. So, and like I said, those threes can be those big dagger moments, especially when it's basketball because you don't have the dunk or, you know, the huge highlight in the same regard as a men's game. Those three-pointers – at home are the big momentum swings more so than in, in, in the men's game, I think. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that, you know, that's a great point there. And I, I thought that it was a big team effort. Now I will go ahead and jump to my negatives. It was a starters effort because they barely subbed. They played, they played four reserves and they played a combined 24 minutes. The, the subs played all less than any individual starter played combined uh those subs so you know now caitlin davis when she came in you i think she played nine minutes usc was like plus 13 when she was in there i don't know if she's on a minutes restriction you know she had that knee injury and you know just hasn't been back you know full speed and back in the starting lineup so i'm wondering you know if they're just kind of spotting her uh on that but you like to see see as the season progresses and because especially the road is so tough in the Pac-12 conference where every week you are playing a ranked team, basically, um, that they get a little bit more contributions from the bench. So they don't have to go into every single big-time matchup and be like, all right, starters, you got to play 35 this game. And 
we're going to do a sub for a breather because you saw what happened at the very end of the game. Juju goes down once again with cramps. Now she, you know, is at the very end after the game. But what happens if that's two minutes earlier in game time when you slay cuts the lead to four? Like you need to have someone, okay, well, that's fine. Juju's out for a minute if cramping and, you know, with some leg cramps, we'll go get. You know, Malia Samuel's going to come in. She's going to knock down her free throws. Or Caitlin Davis comes in. She'll get that that big board. Whatever it is, like, you need to be able to have that, and especially with them being shorthanded with Rhea Marshall out. So that's something you still want to see a little bit more of going on. And my other negative was they did have 17 turnovers in this game. Didn't take care of the ball as well as they have been the last couple games. Now, I will say they forced 22 turnovers and had a big advantage in points off turnovers that was – was pretty much the difference in this game. You know, they scored 23 points off of UCLA's 22 turnovers. UCLA only had 12 points off of their 17 turnovers. But do want to see them take care of the ball a little bit better. Juju had six of those. So that's uh, a big on her and McKenzie Forbes, you know, as the primary ball handlers to do a little bit better. My two negatives, it's tough to critique Juju because she's obviously so important. And the fact that she made all 16 free throws were huge. She plays defense so well, but – She just looks really tired, and so I think the next step in this evolution for USC is can you overcome – like can you kind of give her a break maybe in the third quarter for a little bit? And and Lindsey Gottlieb tries, but to your point, Chuck, on the the bench, they just didn't really give you a whole lot in this game, and I think we saw some starters take some steps forward, and the depth is – better from a sense of in, in the sense of it's not just Juju and Mackenzie Forbes doing everything it, even though they're starters you, you have some other people who can score offensively you can do some nice things but I, I just wonder if this torrid pace that she's on can you keep this up in a really good Pac-12 uh, conference and then tournament and then NCAA tournament it just seems like the level of competition is slowly going to keep increasing here. And Juju, I don't really see her minutes going down. I just wonder if there's something you can do to try to limit her because she did have six turnovers, which was a game high. She missed all six threes. To me, that's just the sign of tired legs. And you talked about the cramping. So I I just hope she isn't overused to the point of injury at some point. And I know that she's been in, in her career going back to high school, just always available and she has that great trait, but I, I'm just a little bit concerned. I've talked about this in the past, just with her usage. And then the other thing I, I hit on it earlier, it took, in my opinion, longer than it should have to kill UCLA off at the end of this one. And I think that's because USC, while they did have some nice games from everyone who started, they just don't have those pieces off the bench. who can come in and really step on another team's throat, especially a good team. It was really nervy at the end. It was 67, 63. And even though I felt like USC was going to win the game the whole way, UCLA definitely kept the door open and I thought, okay, I think USC should win, but UCLA certainly has a chance. The end of the game execution. I didn't think it was great against Oregon state. I didn't think it was particularly great against UCLA and going forward. You just have to hope the team learns from it because we all know in basketball, when you get to March, you don't execute at the end of a game. That's the difference between maybe going to a sweet 16 or even better and losing in the first round. So they're doing really well. Obviously I don't want to be too critical I just could see how they've executed at the end of the at the end of these games lately, coming back to cost them at the end. And I'm sure the staff's aware of it and they'll make some changes. But uh, that was my other thought there. Yeah, and you you want to get those learning experiences in wins, and that's yeah. what USC was able to do in this against UCLA. Uh, I, I think the thing to watch: Juju played 38 minutes in this game. McKenzie Forbes played 38 minutes. Taylor Bigby played 37. The other two starters played 31. 
So you if can you get Juju down to in that 32 range versus 38? Because the thing I always say about any freshman, any sport in college is, okay, what are they going to look like the last third of the season? Because I always say two-thirds of the way through the season, you see freshmen do one of two things. No one stays even after two-thirds of the way through the season. They either take off because they figured everything out, they know how teams are going to play them, how uh, you know pitchers are attacking them, or you know how to run behind a certain you know their blockers. You know they they've jailed with their team and all those type of things, or they get to two thirds of the season and they hit a wall and you see less production from them because they're not used to the length of the of the schedule. You know, high school you play less games. You're, you're not going up against as physical and but as good of athletes as you are in college and high school. So you can coast a little bit more when you need to all those type things. So I always say two thirds of the way through the season, any sport freshman in college, you're either going to take off a little bit more and you know, you see that improvement in the, down the stretch. And then that's when coaches start saying, well, at this point in the year, they're not, they're not really freshmen anymore. They're really sophomores. Every coach loves saying that, or they hit a wall and they go, you know, they're freshmen. It's what you expect. You know, coaches love to, you know, double talk that type of thing. But I, I that's what something I've always said. And that's going to be a question for me with Juju is with the, you know, she's run into a little bit of a wall, I would say, the last few games, just with her shooting and stuff. And it feels like she just doesn't have the legs at times, you know, especially on the, you know, the long jumpers, which are a huge part of her game. Now, she made an adjustment in this one. Attack the basket. That was one of the things we said against UCLA in that first matchup that she did really well was attack that when she attacked the basket, I thought was when she was at her best. This game, she gets fouled, goes to the free throw line. Money. Just absolute money at the free throw line. 16 for 16 in that game. So, you know, she still scored 32 points. So, again, we were, we are definitely nitpicking with someone who is as fantastic as she is. If she wasn't as good as she was, we would not be talking this way about her. Uh, but because she is so good, there are things we're watching in particular with her to see how things progress. And, you know, if USC's coaching staff can make a couple adjustments to alleviate some of the pressure off of her. And I think Mackenzie Forbes has definitely done that to an extent. So, you know, recently with the way she has played, uh, but Mackenzie McForbes was a little bit under 500 in this game too. So she was six for 16, you know, finishing with 18 points. You know, 18 points and, you know, four rebounds, four assists, pretty solid effort from your number two as well. If, if your Robin's giving you 18, four and four, I think you'll be pretty happy with, with what you're doing. Uh, but let's move over to the men's side. Not quite as uplifting of a conversation. Now, the men have played three games since we last were, you know, had the triple-double podcast. They lost to Washington State, kind of a head-scratcher, you know, even though they were shorthanded a little bit. Uh, you lose Isaiah Collier midway through the second half, but still you're playing at home and Washington state's a solid team, but you know, it was, it was kind of a 2023, 24 game for USC showed signs of what they're capable of and just can't put a team away. Can't play consistently and don't play enough defense in the second half. They give up, you know, I, I think it was 50, was it 60% shooting in the second half? Uh, 52.2% shooting for Washington State. Washington State finishes at 47.1%. Isaac Jones had 26 points and 11 rebounds. It's a Wyoming transfer. Uh, nothing against Wyoming, but or Idaho, Wyoming or Idaho transfer. But either way, 
you can't let him dominate you down low. They didn't have Joshua Morgan, and it was evident in this game. They don't have the rim protection when Joshua Morgan's not in there. That's why he's been the starting lineup when healthy. Um, even though Vinci Wachuku has more upside, Eric Page has more upside on the offensive side. He's the difference maker there on the defensive end because they let guys get by them way too often, and that was, again, the case in that one. They lose that one 72-64. to 64. So then USC, instead of having a three-game winning streak, has to go on the road to play Colorado. I reported before the game that USC was going to be without Boogie Ellis. You know, he got banged up again in that Washington State game, has been dealing with a hamstring issue, so he was not available in that one. USC – Shocks everyone in the first half. They're up by 16 points. Oziah Sellers is going off with 16 first-half points. And then it all comes crashing down in the second half as the USC's defense, again, does not show up in the second half. They give up, you know, they let Colorado shoot 56.3%. They had 10 turnovers in the second half. Colorado scores 44 points in the second half to USC's 21. They were outscored by 23 points in the second half. So that's how you turn a 16-point First half lead into a 10-point loss. USC falls 68-58. And then they go to Arizona, and they get behind early, and they're trying to play catch-up the entire game. They get it, they got it to four a couple times, but never got over the hump. Uh, and that's kind of the way it's been with USC, even with more talented Arizona's teams in the past, where USC will – there'll be one run in the first 10 minutes, and suddenly USC is down 7 or 10 or 12 – and just never really can catch up to Arizona. And that seemed to be the case once again. You know, had a chance. Um, late in the first half, they give a big run. Late in the second half, they give another run or they go cold at the end of the game. So, you know, same old, same old kind of there. USC falls 82 67. What stood out to you about the the three games, uh, the three game losing streak the men are now on? Yeah, well, I, I I think injuries, you got to talk about that, but it, it wasn't like the team was playing particularly well when they've had everyone. And I know it's been an up and down season injury wise. Some guys would play, but maybe not practice. So Andy Enfield's talked about how not having everyone available at practice has hurt them this year. So obviously that was significant. The Washington State one is sort of the head scratcher. I mean, no Joshua Morgan in that game, but Boogie Ellis fights through his hamstring tweak and you lose Isaiah Collier in the second half, but that's a game you're at home. Washington State, for as well as they played in that second half, that's a team that even with some of those injury issues, I, I feel like a USC team of, of the past, maybe even looking at last season, probably wins that game if, if they didn't have Josh Morgan and a couple guys were limited. So I think it just goes to show for whatever reason, things haven't clicked this year. And then, I mean, shotgun, we were talking off the air, neither of us expected – USC to beat Colorado or Arizona in the first half, like you said, was a pleasant surprise. So I'm not too surprised with those results. The Washington State one, that's the one that sort of hurts, and that was the furthest away. But I think it just sort of sums up how this season's gone. You, you take a, two steps forward or maybe one step forward against Cal and Stanford, and then it's two or three steps back. So more of the same, and you just got to hope everyone's healthy by the time the Pac-12 tournament rolls around because right now uh, – and I don't think it's going to change. You got to win that to get into the NCAA tournament. So I'd be, if I was a staff or if I was on the staff, I'd be doing everything possible to try to, it's hard because you got to focus on now, but try to ramp up to that tournament because that's really going to be the last chance they have. 
Yeah, I mean, the injuries have played a huge part in their season. We've talked about it, you know, from everything from Bronny James, his cardiac arrest, it kind of all started there, as well as Vince Wachuku having offseason spine surgery, you know, you know. So two guys that we're going to come in and we're going to be the key players, but we're going to have key roles. And so now you start with them, them being behind the eight ball. And then you go into the preseason camp, guys roll ankles, and, you know, Aaron DePage has mono, and, you know, now you lose him for three or four weeks, and you expect him to be a guy that can come off the bench and give you some minutes. And it just continues on and on. Kobe Johnson and Boogie miss the, you know, UC Irvine game, and then they lose that one. You know, Boogie Ellis has been hampered by this hamstring injury now for a couple weeks and has to sit out on a critical road trip. You know, if if USC could have won – even if they lose to Washington State, if they go and win at Colorado, win at Arizona, win at Arizona State, like those are huge for their net ranking because you're going on the road and beating, you know, quality teams. So, you know, huge road trip. And instead of playing well going into it and having that opportunity going from the Washington State game, hey, build some momentum from Cal, Stanford. Maybe you have a three-game win streak going into it. We talked about that last week. Instead, they go in, they're beat up even more. No Joshua Morgan. Um, against Colorado or Washington State. They did get him back against Arizona with some limited minutes. Boogie Ellis has not played either game. Isaiah Collier now has done four to six weeks because of a broken hand, a bone in his hand uh, that he broke, reaching in on a play that probably doesn't need to try to make. But, you know, it's just a continuation of what must be an absolutely frustrating season for the coaching staff because they know the potential this team has if it could play to its capabilities, if they played together, if they played defense, and you see flashes of it, and you see what someone like Ozai Sellers could give you off the bench, you know, come in and be that, you know, a, a microwave guy, just come in and immediately heat up and knock some shots down. But it's just not happened for USC, and you see the results that they have. None of those games were close. So I'm going to jump into – I'm just going to immediately jump into my negatives for the men on my triple-double. But none of those games were close at the end because they don't finish. Now, whether that's because the players are dead tired, because you know they're playing with a shorter, ro- shorter roster or whatnot, Washington State ended the game on a 9-0 run. USC lost by eight. They were up by one with, what was it, three minutes left or two minutes left and gave the game away. Colorado, USC was down by four, and then Colorado has a 9-0 run in the final three minutes. And then USC had trimmed the lead down from 19-10 to in the final 2-10. You want to make something special, something spectacular happen at McHale Center, zero points in the final 2-10 at Arizona. They can't finish. They didn't finish the half against Arizona, the first half against Arizona. They didn't finish the first half against Colorado. They were up by 16. They finished the half with a 10-point lead. They don't finish. They play about, you know, if they if even if they start well, which has been a big issue for them, they play about fifteen minutes per half. Um, it, it it's ten to fifteen minutes of, of good basketball. The problem is you can't you can't do that and beat good teams. You can't not play the first five minutes or not play the last five minutes of a half and expect that you're still going to be able to overcome that the rest of the game. So that's definitely one of my negatives. And then I'll just go ahead and finish my other negative for them was the unforced errors. They had 10 turnovers in the second half against Colorado, 19 turnovers versus Arizona. And they just dumb things like stepping over the line for a free throw violation. Like things that like you can't 
stop as a coach, like besides benching people. And Andy Enfield immediately benched Harrison Hornery after he he's fell over and put his hands over the the line, like those type of things that just unforced. No one's no one's behind him pushing him into the lane. Like you're just trying to rev up to go get a rebound and just like throwing the ball away. All those type of things that they do. The unforced errors have been just devastating to them throughout the season. So those are my two negatives because they're on a three game losing streak. We're going to start with the negatives. All right, I guess that means I'll start with my negatives. So (laughs) I looked more at these last two games for USC and more at two individual players because you knew you weren't going to have enough offense to to compete in these games. And guys who potentially could step up without Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier playing, I look at Harrison Hornery first and foremost. You just need more from him on offense. And in the past two games, he's a combined one of eight from the floor and he scored three points. He hit one three. I think that was against uh, Arizona last night. So I know he's limited offensively, but he's a guy who remember last year on the road against UCLA, he had a nice offensive game. He's proven in college, even though it was really streaky that he can score. And I don't want him to like go out there and four shots, but like you just have this massive void without your two leading scores. And so you'd think, okay, maybe a guy like Harrison Hornery would get more opportunities and be able to score and he just hasn't done it. And then I feel very similarly about Kobe Johnson, a guy who gives you so much in every aspect, but without your two leading scorers, you need a guy like Kobe Johnson to step up and seven of 25 from the floor of these last two games, at least he's shooting a lot of shots, but they're just not going down three of 12 from deep. He's at seven of 25 and some free throws have, have led to 22 points these last two games. So he's averaging 11 a game. I know he's not that 20 point a game guy, and he's trying, clearly he's shooting a lot, but you, you just need more on offense without Isaiah Collier and, and without Boogie Ellis. And those are two guys who on paper could maybe give it to you. I think they sort of have shown their true colors a little bit these last two games. So I, I it's a little bit unfair to hold them to that standard, but I try to, you know, hold USC to a high standard, even with some of these injuries, Colorado, it's a tough place to play. Arizona, obviously a tough place to play. I was looking for a little bit more from those two guys. Didn't get it. Yeah, Hornery only shooting 28.4% on the season now. And now he's a three-point specialist for the most part, and that's what you expect. And then junkyard dog, some some offensive rebounds or something like that. But he's shooting 29.8% from three. Same thing with Kobe Johnson, only 38% from the field and 28.9% three-point. If those guys were both at 35%, maybe this team is looks a lot different. Cause that's, you know, maybe that's only four or five more makes overall. Uh, but then it, there's more confidence. And, you know, I, I just think that both those guys just aren't making enough shots for them. You know, you need those guys because they're going to have to play big minutes for you, especially Hornery when, when Joshua Morgan was out, like you want him to be in there because he can help spread the floor and give you a different look. Um, when you can't bang with other teams, you want to be able to make them have to defend you on the wing. And that's not necessarily been the case. Arrington page, I will give him credit has knocked down some threes recently. You know, he's he's now shooting over over 35%. And, you know, that makes him a more dangerous uh, threat for USC. You know, it's just the fact that he can knock down some threes on, on the wing. You know, and now defenses have to spread out a little, little bit more. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from that. Uh, and it's, it's disappointing that two veteran guys that shouldn't have to carry the load and they're kind of have to do more just because of the injuries – but those are the guys that you look to 
when you need someone to step up. You want your veterans. Like, you shouldn't be looking to Bronny James, like, all right, Bronny, we need 15 from you every night now with everyone out. You know, it should be those veteran guys, and they just haven't been able to do it uh, here, here recently. Totally agree. I can move now to my positives. Ozias Sellers, the first half against Colorado, USC is just desperate for someone on offense to do anything. And I felt like Ozias Sellers, he didn't start the game, but he came in off the bench, scored those 16 points. Like that was, even if he had missed those shots, it was just nice to see him go in and score because USC just needed something different. And he provided that course in the second half. It didn't go according to plan. And he only had two points because Colorado said, you're not beating us. We're going to make someone else (laughs) beat you uh, uh, on USC and as we've seen, the Trojans just don't have that other guy right now with without Allison Collier. So shout out to Isaiah Sellers. It wasn't the complete game, but it was just nice that he said, hey, screw it. We need to score. It's going to be me. I, I like what I saw from him. And then Bronny James against Arizona, 11 points, six assists, five boards. The assists and rebounds were both season highs for him. In my opinion, he was USC's best and most consistent player in that game. And USC in that second half, they, they never got within single digits of Arizona. So it was a tough game from the team, but Bronny James had been really struggling the previous three games. He hadn't hit a field goal in those previous three games. So he had a little bit of juju in him where the lights were bright and it was on ESPN. He came out and played really well. Kevin Durant was in the crowd. The, he was getting booed every time he touched the ball. That looked like the Bronny that I think USC fans were expecting. And just in terms of like a long-term sort of prognosis on him, he, he kind of showed you everything he could do. He even got called for that bogus double dribble. So he had five turnovers which is a season high but he really shouldn't have that that wasn't a good call I just thought like the last three games there were some moments where it didn't really look like he quite belonged and in this game I thought he was USC's best player like I said and he totally belonged was really happy with him but overall I mean the team is just not very good right now so it's tough to to pinpoint too many positives the last one 16 of 20 from the free throw line 80 percent in the last two games they're not getting to the line a lot but at least they're making shots at the free throw line which has been a big problem for him this year. But Chuck, and I won't lie to you, I had a lot of trouble trying to get that last positive. So it's the free throw line. <laughs> uh, I did have Bronny and uh, Isaiah Sellers as well uh, from their performances in each of those individual games. Uh, Bronny, just kind of a slump buster. And, you know, freshmen are going to have some ups and downs throughout the season. He had 15 against Oregon State, 10 against C- California, and then three straight games where he didn't make a field goal. Um, so, you know, now to bounce back at Arizona, big game. You know, now do we see an upswing from in the next, uh, you know, the next couple of games as well? Um, or is it just a one-off? That'll be the, the question moving forward him. For Oziah Sellers, he's had six games this season where he's played at least 19 minutes. In those six games, four of them, he scored the, the four games this season where he scored double figures, uh, you know, came in that stretch. So, you know, he can give you points in a hurry if he gets, if he gets some time off the bench. So it's great to see him, one, knocking down some threes. Because remember early in the season, UC Irvine game in particular, you know, with the players out, they really needed him to step up, and he struggled. But with guys out the last couple games, he's really taken that step forward. So I think that's just another step in his maturity. And, you know, he's knocked down four out of five three-pointers the last two games. I like the fact that he's not forcing the issue. Even in that second half, I like the fact that he wasn't taking bad shots. Now, maybe that's something that on the bench, maybe they disagree with and like, we need somebody to score. You need to do it. But they were focusing, Colorado was focusing so much attention on him in the second half. Other guys were getting open looks and they were just not knocking them down. 
So I like the fact that he wasn't forcing the issue, wasn't trying to shoot over to people, whatever it may be. Um, you know, he was opening things up for his teammates. And then against Arizona, I thought he played really well as far as not trying to do too much. Unfortunately for him, he was in foul trouble the entire game, as were a ton of USC players, which for some reason Arizona's players weren't also in foul trouble at the same time. It didn't seem like there was – consensus on how the game was going to be called on one end versus the other end with USC having twice as many fouls as Arizona 24 to 12. Now I know Arizona had a more prevalent inside presence that does play a little bit into it, but there were some foul calls that I was shaking my head at. And then that double dribble was ridiculous. It's just classic PAC 12 refs. If there's a big environment, you're going to get a lot of calls as a home team in the Pac-12. That they they are very swayed by the emotions uh, of something, unless you're Bobby Hurley's team, and you get five technicals called on your players in a in a single half of basketball. Um, and then my third one was actually the defense was a little bit better versus Arizona. They held Arizona to forty percent shooting. That gives you a chance. And hey, they had a chance in this game. If there wasn't for those two stretches at the end of each half. Uh, or the stretch early in the game, if you really want to say. Uh, but the two stretches early in the half or at the end of each half where they trim things down and they let Arizona close the half out much better than they did. Uh, you know, there, there was a four-point game in the first half, and like I said, they got it down to 10 and didn't score again in the last 210 of the game. So, you know, they, they can play a little bit better defense. In the second half against Arizona, they held them to 38.9%. That was a lot of it was a zone defense. And that's the way they attacked Arizona and had much more success with that. I don't know if that's the answer going forward, but they rebounded. They didn't rebound great out of it. Um, and so they got to fix that if they're going to play that zone. But they did rotate pretty well out of the zone, I thought. You know, the, Arizona got some open looks, but it wasn't like every every possession they were getting whatever they wanted. And that's part of the reason why Arizona didn't shoot great. A team that can shoot great and a team that normally scores 90 something points, USC quote-unquote, held them to 82 points. They held them below their season average, at least, because they didn't shoot as well. So can they carry that forward? We'll see. What USC about – Sorry, Shotgun, but just USC did shoot a, at a higher clip than Arizona in that game. I think it was 43 to 40%. I, I thought the zone worked really well early in that game as well. And, again, I'm sorry I cut you off. One last thought on, on what you had to say right there. Just I feel like Arizona – did you walk away impressed – by them i i walked away that watching that game that was the first time i, I was in and out of that duke game where, where they won so th- they have had better games of course but i, I c- wouldn't be surprised if they were one and done again in the tournament based on what i saw last night that is just not a clean operation and it's a lot of late threes and they can hit those shots it just didn't really look very clean and very very good to me i i, I didn't think very much of the Wildcats. I, I don't know if you had any thoughts there. It's a USC podcast. We, we can move on, but I, I just left that game. Like <laughs> USC was always going to lose that game, but Arizona, I, I, they didn't really impress me that much. I, I, I'll i be curious when they get towards tournament time, they get later in the season, how tight do the rotations become? Yeah. Because their starting five is much different than the, you know, Krivas off the bench gives you something and KJ Lewis can give you something. Bradley had 10 points. But I wasn't really impressed by those guys off the bench. Like, I know Umar Balo can dominate down low, but can he make any free throws? That's a question for them. Uh, you know, he's going to get fouled. You got to take him out at the end of the games. Keisha Johnson, I think, is the big key for them. You know, that's the guy who chose – he had eight points in the first half. He chose Arizona over USC. That was USC's big transfer target that they were going after. 
And it was interesting to see that matchup because it was him and DJ Rodman. So USC basically pivoted to DJ Rodman after Keisha Johnson chose Arizona. And DJ Rodman's finishes with 16 points and seven rebounds. Johnson was good too with 10 points and 13 rebounds. But I think he's the key for them because he does all the small things that, you know, Caleb Love, I don't think he does the small things. Umar Balo, somewhat. And then Colin Boswell is, you know, he's got to be the guy to direct the offense. And sometimes he, he takes some of those like fadeaway threes that Kirk Risa would take that are like, why is your point guard taking those shots? Those aren't the shots that you want to be, like, you want your point guard to set everything up for you, not take fadeaway three pointers. Now you can make some of them. And so that becomes the, you know, the, the inner conflict as a coach, like, do you, tell him don't shoot those ever and get us in a better set or, you know, do you let him, you know, just kind of go with it. And then Pella Larson's another guy. Like I, th- I think he said Johnson and Larson are the keys because they do all the, the grunt work. And, you know, when they're not going and they're not doing all the grunt work, it doesn't flow very well. And, and can you have two grunt work guys at the same time? That's also, you know, usually it's a, you know, you have one guy that that's not going to do too much on an offensive end, but I don't know that, I haven't seen too much of them, so it's hard to say off of one game. But, yeah, I wasn't super impressed with what I saw from them because, like I said, USC had 19 turnovers. 19 turnovers are for one of the good Arizona teams, and USC loses by 25 normally. So that's, that's kind of the, the discrepancy there for from what I think. Let's move on, though. Let's move to our, our couple other segments that we have before we take our break. You know, we're, we got our Juice Juice uh, segment. Juju Watkins now averaged 26 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, two and a half steals, almost two blocks, and three and a half turnovers, shooting 43.9% from the field and 38.9% from three-point range, and now up to 82%, almost 83% at the free throw line after making 16 again. On the other side, that's the Jew. The Zay portion of our Juice section is Isaiah Collier, the other number one recruit. Unfortunately, we have not seen him the last couple of games. He's not traveled with the team because he is out with a broken hand. He'll be out four to six weeks. He's averaging 15.4 points. It was playing pretty well in that uh, that Washington State game before he got hurt. What stood out to you? What kind of caught your ear, your eye from uh, Juju Watkins and or Isaiah Collier this week? Well, it's too bad that Collier got hurt because it looked like he was starting to turn a corner a little bit. And USC obviously needed him in some of these bigger games. So, that's unfortunate. It does open the door for Bronny James to play a lot more point guard, which we mm-hmm. saw against Arizona, which is nice to see. I know Bronny projects more as like that three and D shooting guard at the next level, but anytime you can be a ball handler and he can improve in that facet, I think that'll help him at the next level. So it's too bad. It took Isaiah Collier breaking his hand to get those opportunities. But when one door closes, another door opens, if you will. And then with Juju, just still concerned about the usage. I think her field goal percentage, it was a lot higher a couple of weeks ago. Now it's lower. She just, like I said, looks tired to me. And I just hope uh, she's not too tired when these big games get even bigger. So those are my two thoughts. Let's start with Juju. Uh, first freshman with 30 points and 10 rebounds versus a top five opponent in the last 25 seasons. That's pretty good for a pretty good mark for USC. No, 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 not USC, not Pac-12 in the nation. First freshman with 30 point a 30-10 double-double versus a top 5 opponent in the last 25 years. She's special. She does something special every week. 
including or sets a new record every week, it feels like. She is now the all-time leader in uh, Pac-12 Freshman of the Week honors. Um, and she was named, I think, the AP National Player of the Week. Didn't win Pac-12 Player of the Week, though. So <laughs> don't know exactly uh, you know, what the voters were looking for from her. Maybe a little bit more efficiency, if, if, if anything. But... Another 30-point effort from her. I think that's six now. I think she's one away from you know tying the, the school record. Um, so she continues to be spent spectacular. And like you said, Collier, it's disappointing because he was coming off that 26-point effort over you know Stanford and looked like he was kind of turning that corner. So we'll see when we start hearing about him potentially getting back to practice because now it's not only, okay, in six weeks or four weeks they get him back. It's four weeks, then you got to ramp up. You got to get in condition. He's going to be on limited minutes initially, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then to combine it with our stunting like my daddy, Bronny James talk, you know, he got his first two career starts at Colorado and Arizona um, and, or first career start at Colorado and, you know, struggled in that game, but bounces back against Arizona. He's averaging 5.8 points in his 10 games. Um, you know, and to see him getting the double digits again was, was good, but six assists in that game, I thought was re- really a uh, big stat for him. So career high, six assists, career high, five rebounds, first two games without any minutes restrictions from what we're told, or at least, you know, the first times he played over 20 minutes and we're told he's at without restrictions anymore at Colorado, he played 25 minutes at Arizona, he played 30, obviously that's because it's needed, uh, because of the limited, ball handlers that they have with Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier both out. And we'll see how that changes as those guys return. But, you know, outside of the turnovers and we mentioned the double dribble uh, and a couple of others weren't necessarily terrible things that he did, but outside the turnovers, I thought he was really solid in that Arizona game. He shot five eleven. He got off to a really hot start early uh, and, and missed a couple later, but I didn't think he tried to do too much. He continues to do, you know, what he is is, you know, a guy that's not going to do too much. Now, the one thing we want to see is can he start making some more threes? He was a three and D guy coming in. That's what we anticipated. He's only shooting 23% from three point land. So, got to start making a, a couple more. He did get one against Arizona. We'll see if that kind of opens things up for him. But with that, we're going to jump into our break. And then when Connor and I return, we'll have our special guest for the week, USC assistant coach Courtney Jaco, joining us to discuss the Trojans, their recent win over the Bruins. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, like Richard had earlier, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or basketball pod in the headline and make sure it gets directed to us and not to any of the other guys because we have such a dynamic line of podcasts at the Peristyle Podcast. So you know, you know, make sure you're checking all that out. Now, unfortunately, due to some travel woes, I had multiple flights get canceled, you know, the, the classic winter you go on vacation, we're at the beach, it's nice and sunny, and then you try to get back home and snow arrives, ice arrives, you don't get to get back on the flight that you had originally booked. So because of that, trying to get back, I had a couple of flight cancellations. I was unable to join the conversation with Cordy Jaco, but Connor took the reins. Like we teased at the beginning of the show, USC women's basketball assistant coach Courtney Jaco is here Courtney, I have so much to ask you, you being a Trojan alum and now part of the coaching staff. Let's just start with this. This season has certainly been special so far. I know there's a long way to go, but it's been a special start to the year. You have a really unique perspective on this as a former player. What's it been like for you to be a part of this team, a part of this turnaround with Lindsey Gottlieb? How fun is it? Just take me through your perspective these last few weeks and months. Sure. I mean, it's it's been a, a dream come true. Um it's a very full circle moment for me, and uh, I've had the opportunity to see the program grow in, in in different ways. Obviously, as a player, my experience there, graduating in 2017, uh, then I had the opportunity to to get on staff um, as a video coordinator with Mark Track, and even that was a little bit different than um, you know my experience as a player. Um, and I just learned a ton behind the scenes and. Um, you know, when Lindsay came around, we, we've had a great relationship since I was recruited, um, by her when she was at Cal and, um, we've just kept in touch ever since. And so, um, I think it was really important to her to have an alum on staff and just, um, someone that has had this experience and, um, is able to, you know, help the next generation, uh, move that forward. And it's just been uh, a dream, like I said, come true um, when I was announced in July. And I kind of was thrown out there immediately going recruiting and, and going from city to city. But uh, just the amount of, you know, congrats from other coaches and um, other players was was awesome. And then uh, since then, I've just been trying to be, be a sponge. And I, I, I really think you know, credit to our staff. I have a lot of great people around me that I can learn from. Um, our associate head coach, Coach B, has been, you know, my rock, my uh, uh, person that I look look towards um, for all things on the court. And then Coach Dale, Coach Will, Coach Chris have also done a really great job mentoring me and um, helping kind of build me up. But in terms of how much fun I'm having, I mean, no kidding. Like we have the best fresh freshman in the country and um, 
you know, we have a lot of great players around her that are not only giving her a ton of support, but just helping her navigate this because it is the first time she's experiencing all of these uh, challenges and classes and tutoring and and trying to balance and manage all those things as a student athlete. Um, but we just, we, we have a great group of people. And I think that that has made the experience kind of what it is for me, just, just the people that we have on our staff, on our team um, has just made this experience worthwhile. Getting into Sunday's win against UCLA. We got to talk about the environment. Let's start with the game though. What was different game plan wise from that first UCLA game where you go into Poly Pavilion? It's a close game, but UCLA gets the job done. What what sort of change in practice? What were Lindsey Gottlieb's coaching points heading into the second game? And how did that allow you to come out on top in the second rivalry showdown against UCLA? Yeah, I think, you know, there were some definitely some technical things that we wanted to tighten up. We really wanted to focus on taking away their transition um, opportunities, getting back, making sure we're matched up. Uh, not letting them get a full head of speed, uh, steam going down and scoring really quickly. Um, they're a great rebounding team, and, and, and that's an area that we also emphasize, making sure we're boxing out, limiting them to one shot, uh, and also crashing the boards on offense for us, getting some second-chance opportunities and, and putbacks was really important for us as well. But more than anything, I think we just had the mentality of this, this run-it-back mentality like I don't know um you know how well versed you all are but you know when you play pickup and it's a tight game and and you lose um after you're like nah run it back run it back run it back and um we kind of really pushed that mentality all week of just we're more than enough we have enough we're definitely capable we know the things that we need to do now let's run it back. And so I think our players really brought into that mindset. Um, and also, obviously, the 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 small adjustments we made, um, keying in on London Jones was also a, a really big deal. She had a great game uh, the first time around, and, and we felt like we could do a better job there and, and just be a little – give her a little bit more attention. Um, and so – um, I, I feel like those things kind of made the difference, but just coming out with a lot of energy, enthusiasm, obviously the environment um, is all of the players' dreams to 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 be um, in that vir- environment and play against a, a sold-out crowd and standing room only. Uh, the energy in the gym just, I, I think, really gave our players um, kind of the force to um, come out and, and start out strong. What does that mean to you to be a small part of this program where when you were playing, there weren't those big crowds? Now, as a coach, you've helped contribute to what we saw Sunday. Just as someone who's lived through it, what what did that mean to you, that environment? Oh, it's awesome. Like the the engagement from the community has been incredible um, all season long, I I think. Um, And just really engaged in the game as well. Like there's, there's sometimes when people come in the game and uh, they might not be knowing what's going on or knowing the players, but you know, everybody knows Juju, you see the Juju jerseys in, in the, the crowd and um, everybody's just so engaged in the game and in the players and in and, and their stories and what they bring to our team. And um, that in itself is, is awesome uh, for me to see, but 
it was so loud in there. Like I'm, I'm in charge of the the matchups, like defensively, I, I try to get people where they need to be going. And I just, it was so loud in there that it was really difficult for me to do that. I had to wait for timeouts, but um, I kind of caught myself looking around a few times, just, I mean, seeing it filled up to the, to the, to the brim. And um, like I said, it, it, it was a very full circle moment for me because I know what we came from and um, just really appreciate everybody coming out and, and, and being really supportive of our team. I believe your 35.8 percentage from three point range is still a USC record, but I'm looking at some of the stats this year and I see four players on the team right now who are ahead of that 35.8% mark. Are you at all worried that someone on this year's team is going to come for that record? Hey man, records are meant to be broken, right? Like I, I, I love the fact that we have multiple shooters on the floor and uh, even in our free time, just in, you know, player development, um, being able to have a hand in that as well is just really cool to me um, to see that development over time, that progress, but also just shooting it with confidence. Like that is, is the major part of it. And uh, just super excited to, to, have the chance to have multiple people um, in front of that list and, 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 and make their mark and make their own name. But um, you know, our, our ability to shoot it as well as we, we have been uh, has given us a lot of, um, you know, it has given us a lot of um, spacing on the floor and has helped Juju, you know, be able to create on her own as well. And so, um, credit to them and they, they put in the work and they work really, really hard to shoot it at a high clip and uh, not worried at all, uh, but more happy for, for them in the progression of our program for sure. It hasn't happened too much this season, but when a player shot, especially from long range, isn't falling with your experience being such a good three point shooter as a player, how do you help players get out of shooting funks? Yeah. I mean, I kind of have this mentality of, of shoot it when you're hot, shoot it till you get hot. And um just knowing that you have always put in the work to be a great shooter and it comes with its highs and lows and you have to keep shooting uh, to make them. So just instilling that mentality um, in them as well. Uh, But that's something that has kind of helped me through my uh, playing career and something that I've tried to share with, with our players too. Since beating UCLA, what have been the biggest emphases from Lindsay Gottlieb in practice, what are you guys trying to get better at right now? Yeah, I think we're just taking one game at a time, I think is really, really important seeing what's in front of us and being able to play to our strengths um, in that game. Um, I think not looking too far ahead and just being really present in the moment and trying to be the best version of ourselves that we can be is, is something that she's really emphasized Um as well as obviously the the technical scouting things that come with different Pac-12 opponents, right? Like, you know, Utah is as good of an offensive team as as anybody, and Colorado is as good of a, a complete team as anybody. And so uh, different styles come every week, um, but the talent doesn't stop. And so just being able to be present and stay in the moment um, and also work on improving ourselves and, and trying to be the best version that that we can be, I think is something that's been really important for us. What were your thoughts at the end of the UCLA game? You guys led the whole way, but UCLA a couple of times got it to within four. There were some nervy moments. 
were you nervous at all that UCLA could get it done or were you pretty confident the whole way? I remember watching that just being like, oh, I think they are going to win this, but Totally. No, yeah. I, I think we were as confident as as we could be. Um, I mean, at halftime, being up 15 was uh, critical. You know, um, we really kind of stretched that uh, lead and did a really good job holding them to to 19 points at halftime. And uh, so I think we had a lot of momentum coming in to the second la- half. But hey, credit to them. Like they're a really good team. They have great players. And uh I think a couple times when they got it to four and uh, kind of cut the lead, there was some very high level basketball going on on both sides. And so, um, you know, as an, as an LA native, it was just cool to see that everybody in the gym could experience that as well. Um, just high level women's basketball at its, at its finest. And uh, two teams being from LA, I think was really, really cool, but no, I don't think our confidence wavered at all. Um, at the end of the day, we, we knew that we really wanted the game and, and felt solid in our game plan and uh, just needed to kind of get the stops to be able to extend that leap. Two other things for you before I let you go. First, USC with the number one recruiting class coming in next season. I know you mentioned being new to the staff and diving right in. Who did you help to recruit in this class? Were you involved with everyone or was it more of an individual, two players? Fill me in on how you recruited this class. Yeah, I, I think it definitely was more of a collaboration, uh, team effort, group effort. And uh, because this is kind of my first time around with with everything, uh, more just relationship building and, and letting them get to know me. But in terms of, you know, our official visits and, and things that happen on campus, definitely a group effort. Um, but we're really excited about the class we have coming in. Uh, super dynamic, a lot of strengths, a lot of uh, individual talents that I that I think will really propel um, our team forward for uh, years to come. But um, yeah, I think with with this incoming class, just really emphasizing, you know, building relationships with them and uh, making sure they have everything they need um, before you know arriving on campus when it gets to that time. And the last thing you mentioned, the two big games coming up on the road this week, Utah, Colorado, what needs to happen to get two ranked wins on the road? Yeah, I think, you know, just still keeping that being present um, and having that mentality of just looking at one game in front of us. Uh, We know that Utah is a really, really good offensive team. We have to stop them in transition. Uh, We have to be able to guard the three-point line as well. I think is really, really important uh, key for them. And then we have to be able to score it on offense as well. Um, and Colorado is as tough as it as as they come. Um, just a really solid team on both sides of the floor. Um, and I think uh, you know it just doesn't get easier in the Pac-12, right? Like, um, but these are opportunities that um, you know are are games that are Sweet 16 games, like games that we 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 can see ourselves playing in the future for sure. And so, just approaching it with that mindset and being able to come out and uh, give our best uh, version of our, ourselves, I think is uh, the key. That's USC assistant women's basketball coach, Courtney Jaco. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it too. Fight on. Connor, thanks for handling our interview this week. I have to say I'm jealous. Awesome stuff from Courtney. She's someone whose career I follow since she first arrived at USC. I think it was Cynthia Cooper Dyke's first season as head coach. Disappointed I wasn't able to join you guys, but I was really intrigued by her talking about in that game how she caught herself a couple times 
just taking it in. She said, you know, I have to actually looked around and realized, you know, the Galen Center is packed. The fact she couldn't, she couldn't hear, uh, or the players couldn't hear her. She's trying to give help give the defensive assignments out and everything. I thought that was awesome. And that's something, hey, that's uh, something if you're a coach, you'll be like, all right, I'll take that. I'll figure out a way to, we'll do hand signals or whatever we got to do if it's so loud that, you know, I can't communicate with you as easily. You know, she's been at USC her four-year playing career. She went over to, I think, Greece, played for a little bit professionally, but came back with Mark Track, was part of the video, um, was their video person for a year or two, and then now being an assistant on this staff. So she's been around the program the majority of the last decade. I don't think she's seen it like that. And I don't think any of us have seen it like the, you know, what is rolling like right now in the last 30 years, you know, since Lisa Leslie was running around on the court with Cheryl Miller on the bench. But Cheryl Miller instead has got her courtside seats and she was in the locker room afterwards. I don't know if you saw that interview as well. I thought that was really, really cool. The video that USC posted of her talking to the team. She's so excited about the direction of the program and the fact that all the alums have been invited back and have been welcomed back by by Lindsey Gottlieb and everything. But I, I thought that was really cool from, from Courtney Jaco talking about how she did have to you know, check herself Real quick, because she realized she was taking it all in for a moment on the bench. Uh, but that's that's how outstanding that that crowd was on Sunday for that game. I like that too. I also thought it was interesting. We hear so much about Andy Enfield being the shot doctor, but Brittany Jaco on the women's side, she's a bit of the shot doctor herself with that three point career record that she has at USC. And I thought it was interesting when I asked her how does she help work with players to get them out of slumps. She just said to shoot through it. The only way to get hot is to shoot. And I think on this USC team, there's no one really walking through that door right now. Who they have is who they have. So Juju 06 in that last game from deep, obviously she's going to keep shooting. But when a player like a Kayla Padilla goes through a slump, she's not right now. She's really hot. Or a Mackenzie Forbes goes through a slump. I think having Jaco on the bench, someone who played at USC, shot really well at USC, has been through it. Having her there to help, not only with technique, but also with the mental side, I, I think that's really important. And Courtney and Jacob just seemed like such a nice person too. So I was also really happy she joined us because it, it seemed like USC is in good hands with her as a first year assistant coach. Yeah. Even as a player, always huge smile uh, in games and stuff, um, a big competitor, but uh, you know, when things are going well and when there's those, those smiling moments, she's definitely uh, got a big smile there. It, the the interesting thing there is I was thinking like if I was, uh, would, had been able to be a part of the interview is, the follow-up question I would have had is, okay, when do you tell someone not to shoot? Like, when you're like, <laughs> okay, okay, you're not actually a shooter. Shooters can't keep shooting through it. When you're like, all right, we've uh, we've done this trial. It's time for you to stop being the one to shoot. Uh, start driving the ball a little bit more or, you know, or dish it a little bit more. We, we don't need you being the one to take the shots, even if you're open. Do they have anyone like that on, on this team? I feel like all the three-point shooters are – fairly established and have shown they can shoot it. Like, I don't think has Rhea Marshall even attempted a three. I don't think she's one, one for the season. Yeah. So I don't know if she has to worry about that with this <laughs> year's team, which is a good thing because especially I know you play pickup a lot, Chuck, and we all have to worry about that guy who thinks he's the shooter and shoots a lot of threes. <laughs> and it's like, come on, buddy. Like do not keep doing that either they just stink at basketball in general or they're huge and they don't want to go in the into the paint where they should be and they keep shooting threes usc on the women's side they, they have no one like that on this year's team which is certainly a blessing 
Uh, I don't know if there's anyone that I have to tell stop shooting, but uh, it would be nice to see them continue to to get some more weapons involved, especially off the bench. We talked about that, especially if they can get someone like Kayla Williams to come in, her or Malia Samuels to be a knockdown three-point shooter. You know, if one of those two can step up, you know, Taylor Bigby, she's kind of been that the the floating six man. She's been in the starting lineup when they've had some injuries. She's someone that shoots a ton of threes uh, for them. But, you know, I would like to see one more player step up and be a, a big threat off the bench, especially from deep. You know, when teams try to collapse on a juju, you know, can you kick it out? second pass, those type of things, whether it be, you know, Dominic Darius, uh, you know, whoever it has to be, someone needs to come off the bench. Even if it's Leah Gales, you know, you would like to see someone, if teams go to a zone, do you have a, do you have a, a zone breaker? You know, do you have someone in there? So that's something I would like to to see a little bit more from the bench. As far as those, no, none of those people I just mentioned have a, a number of threes. They don't, none of them have great percentages, but none of them have enough uh, sample size to be like, yeah, that person's not going to be the one. They need to stop shooting. So I don't think we're we're telling anyone that yet to do that. But uh, that's something that that will be could be a key for them. That could be another step for them to to make them even more deadly on the offensive end. So we'll see if that's something that does happen and if that does progress for this team. But let's see where they stand. The women of Troy with their win over UCLA. We wondered. Will they finally make it to the top five in the AP poll? You know, it's been 30 years since it's happened. Nope, still sitting at number six. Now, if they go undefeated this week, I'm going to go ahead and call it. They'll be in the top five next week because they will beat in Colorado and handed them their second loss. So they'll push them down a couple spots and probably jump over them. So we'll see what happens. You know, if they go one and one or oh and two, where they stand then will will be to be determined too. But number six in the AP. But where do the women of Troy stand right now for us, Connor? 13th in the net, and now that they've played four Pac-12 games, teams are starting to separate a little bit, not everyone all clustered together. So USC 3-1 and one in conference, which is tied for third with UCLA, behind only undefeated Colorado, and then Stanford, who just has the one loss to Colorado. I have a bunch of stats listed here. I, I won't go through all of them, but the big ones, you mentioned the concern with the bench. They're 310th in bench points. They just do not get much from those non-starters, and I think that's just going to be how it how it is this year, unless maybe Aaliyah Gales, if she clears a health hurdle and is able to play a little bit more, she could help in that regard, but that's a concern. They just don't turn the ball over a lot, 25th in turnover margin, 14th in turnovers per game, and then 51st in field goal percentage at 45%. If you're at 45%, game in and game out. I just think with how well USC defends, they're going to be in a lot of these games. So the prognosis for me on the, where they stand with the women shotgun, two big thumbs up. And, and it feels like the defense is getting better as the season goes on. Now what Cheryl Miller did say in her little speech to the team afterwards, the defense is not quite where, we, where I would want it to be, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's always the perfectionist there uh, in Cheryl Miller. But you know, the defense is something I feel like is getting better as the season progresses. And I think that's a product of, you know, just them playing together more. And the fact that you have so many new faces on this team uh, from last year, the, the number that stands out to me out of all those that you threw out though, is the net 13th in the net. Now, why is that important? Not necessarily important right now, but it will be on selection Monday uh, when they have their show selection. I don't remember if women's basketball is selection Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I know the men's is Sunday. I know baseball is Monday. I'm all confused now, but selection day, <laughs> Where do they get put? Because I don't know if you saw my tweet, Connor, um, that the latest bracketology earlier this week had USC as a two seed, 
in the same bracket as one Iowa Hawkeyes team led by Caitlin Clark. So a potential Juju Watkins versus Caitlin Clark elite eight matchup. Sign me up. Sign. Well, actually I'd rather have that in the, the final, to be honest, I would love that for the, to be the final to Juju just have all that, but I would take it in elite eight as well. Um, but uh, you know, the 13th in the net ranking, that's going to be something, you know, that plays out to being a, between a three and a four seed, um, or yeah, three seed. So that's something they still need to work on. That's those marquee games they have coming up that can work their way up the net rankings to potentially get into to get on that one line or get on that you know be on that two line to help make that that uh path to a a final four even easier for them. What about the men? The numbers definitely don't look as good. What stands out to you about the numbers and where they stand right now? Eighty fifth in the net, down one spot from eighty fourth. Since we last podcast, podcasted, podcast, I don't know what the <laughs> Pac-12 standings, they're 11th out of 12 right now at 2-5. and five. That is just a surprise to see in writing there. And it's more of the same defensively, and the turnover is just not good enough. 313th and three-point defense, they're allowing opponents to shoot 36%. The rebounding hasn't been great either. They're 211th in rebounding margin. Scoring defense, 263rd, giving up just under 75 points a game. And then the turnover is 270 ninth in turnovers per game at 13.5 they got their fair share of issues shotgun and i think that paints the picture right there yeah and unfortunately before the isaiah carrier injury they were actually doing a little bit better in the turnovers you know and that was part of him turning the corner a little bit and taking care of the basketball a little bit more and now the last two games or the last three halves it's not been as good 19 turnovers against colorado 10 in the second half against or excuse me 19 against arizona 10 against the second half against colorado so Something that definitely has to be improved, but hard to do when your two primary ball handlers in in uh, Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier are not on the court. But let's look ahead. The men have one more game this week. They are going to Arizona State on Saturday. That game will be a midday game, 11 a.m. Pacific time. It'll be on Fox, another national broadcast for USC. Now, this Arizona State team is coming off of a – Unique game. This will be the third consecutive Pac-12 opponent that USC has faced that has been upset in the game before. Uh, maybe in fourth straight. Maybe maybe Washington State was too. Uh, but Arizona had been upset playing at Washington State. Colorado had lost a couple in a row. Arizona State comes in after blowing a 15-point lead to UCLA Wednesday night. They had four techs and a flagrant in the second half. Bobby Hurley came into his post-game press conference. Don't know if you saw that. It was you know, entertaining for sure. Uh, saying, I really wish I could say what I, what I feel right now. I really wish I could say what I feel right now, but he would not say what he really felt right now, except we know what he meant was the referees were terrible. And Tony Padilla was probably earning the, uh, the majority of his earnest uh, or his angst in that, that moment, because he was one of the ones that threw multiple technicals in that. And Sean Phillips got ejected. Now, I don't know, as far as two technicals, I don't believe there's a recourse off, off the top of my head as far as having to miss anything. Baseball, if you get ejected from a game, then there is a recourse. You miss the next two games um, or next three. Again, uh, next four games. This is what happens when I'm in between seasons. I've got everything all in my head. But what stands out to you about the Arizona State? I've watched them a couple of times, and it's a classic Bobby Hurley team to me, of uh, a team that is going to be in every game but that they they can win every game or shoot them with themselves out of every game at the same time. 
the word that comes to mind when I watch Arizona State under Bobby Hurley, just spazzy. The team, it's yeah. a bunch of it's a bunch of spazzes sometimes. <laughs> and I, I I think we saw that last night. The officiating was was not good. I, I agree. But Arizona State, like once you sort of have that reputation and once the officials show that they're gonna be quick to call some of these technical fouls, like I, I watched the end of that UCLA game, the last one, it was just pure stupidity. The the guy fouled the UCLA player and then their legs got tangled and he gets in the UCLA player's face. And right away, that, like the way that game was going, that's an automatic technical. And you saw Frankie Collins, their leading scorer and point guard. I forget the name of the guy who got the last technical, but he was right in the guy's face. Like, what are you doing? You, you can't be making those mistakes. So I, I, I agree that the officiating was poor in that one, but just with their reputation and, and just with their actions in that game, I, I thought they brought a lot of that to themselves. So it's a team like you talked about shotgun. Sometimes it looks great. They don't really run a lot of sets on offense. It's kind of, if you got the open look, you, you just go forward. It's free flowing. It's a lot of ride the hot hand. And, and then other times that can lead to it just being a disaster. And I think they've had a couple of uh, ugly non-conference losses. So if you're USC, if you do get Boogie Ellis back, it's certainly a winnable game, but it's also a losable game because we all know when USC plays Arizona state, those games typically are really tight so I, I think this game could go either way. It's two teams that are on totally different paths, but Arizona State losing these last two, it looked like they had figured some stuff out and they were turning a corner. Now I kind of feel like they're back to square one, which is where USC is right now with all of their injuries and their troubles. So um, I, I'm sure the Sun Devils will be really excited and, and just they, they want to prove a point after losing that UCLA game. They'll be pissed off and, and angry and I guess excited too a little bit because they're playing on Fox. I just think this one could go either way. And it's so hard to predict because you have no idea which freaking ASU team is going to show up on a given <laughs> night. Yeah. I just assume this is going to be a, you know, in the final minute, it's going to be a, a one possession game or final two minutes and whoever executes best down the stretch will, will win the game. Uh, you know, this is pretty much a new Florida state. I mean, excuse me, Arizona state team just over turnover over the off season you know, Frankie Collins, Alonzo Gaffney are probably the, the most notable names that return for them. Both of those guys are starters. Gaffney, you know, is a pogo stick down low, can block some shots, do a little bit of that. And then Frankie Collins is 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 a dynamic point guard for them. He's the key. He runs the entire engine for them. He's the veteran. He's the one everybody looks to. Uh, you know, he's got 50 steals on the season as well. Uh, you know, he's got a 60 assists. So he he's the guy that leads them as well as leading, being their leading scorer. But watch, watch Jose Perez as well. He's an interesting guy to watch just because he'll play with his back to the basket some as a guard, you know, as a six five guard. So he does some things a little bit different. You know, he's kind of got an old man's game, I would say. You know, the the old man at the gym and the pickup game. He, he kind of plays that way, uh, which is pretty unique um, for the style that Arizona State normally plays with. I totally agree. And then USC has a week off before playing UCLA. And that's another unpredictable team coming up next Saturday. We'll preview that one next week on the show. It looks like they've figured a couple things out, but I mean, how can you get that Utah loss? Like how can you forget about how bad that was for UCLA? They certainly have their issues. And like I've said on this podcast before, I I think Cal state Northridge might be the best team in Southern California right now, which is, Crazy to say, based on where USC and UCLA both started the year. Yeah, very very interesting matchup that will be of a team that can't play in defense versus a team that has no <laughs> offense. So we'll see which one wins up. We'll talk about that next week. Let's talk about more important matchups, big-time matchups, not 
uh, you know, toilet bowl matchups. We're talking Super Bowl type of matchups is the women's side. They will go to number 20, Utah, who's tied for fifth in the conference. It started out two and three. So this is a really big week for Utah to try to get back into the conference race. Uh, they have, you know, former Trojan Lisa Pili, which Alyssa Peely, which we've mentioned previous on this, she's been unbelievable. 62.62.1% shooting on the season. She scores when she touches the ball and gets it down low, she scores. She knows how to use her body really well. She just dominates with her the ability to to turn over her left shoulder in particular. She really does well with her step throughs and different things like that. But she can also step out and shoot threes, and she's shooting 43% from threes. So she's averaging 21 points. She had a huge game against South Carolina, number one team in the nation, earlier this season and carried Utah. However, the Utes, and part of the reason why they've struggled a little bit recently is they've been dealing with some injuries. They had a season-ending injury to one of their top players as well. They're playing at home, and playing at the Huntsman Center is – a tough place to play, especially if they get a big crowd, which I, I think this probably will. That's going to be Friday at 6 p.m. It'll be on Pac-12 Mountain. So if you don't have Pac-12 Network, call someone and complain that USC is still in the Pac-12 uh, because this is a matchup you're going to want to be watching. And how about you, Connor? What stands out about the, about the Utes for you? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Peely's the best player USC's played this year so far, right? That, that That's what I think. Yeah. I think so. Ohio State has some solid players. UCLA plays really well as a team. But, I mean, I think Peely, if you were doing a draft, you'd take her over anyone on those two rosters. So I'm excited just to see. It's kind of like the Juju Watkins, Alyssa Peely show in this one. Two of the best players in the country. I think whoever has the better game, even though USC might be better as a team because Utah's had some, some injuries. I think whoever has a better game in this one, is going to win. That's sort of how I see it. I, I hate to just say it's going to come down to the two best players, but I just think they're both so important to their given team. So I, I just look at that matchup as being really important. And if Ray Marshall's healthy, does she guard Peely? I, I, what, what have they done in the past? Cause she's just such a nightmare matchup. Someone who can do it at all three levels. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and then just with, with Utah, they've played, the best teams that they've played so close, South Carolina, Stanford, Colorado. I don't know. I I think the Utes are a really good team. And if USC can go one and one on this trip, that would show me a lot because I know they're really good. But in, in my head, I think this is a really tough trip and I wouldn't be shocked if they went 0 and 2. Utah's good. Yeah. It's, it's, but like I said, it's going to be the toughest trip that they have all season. It's the second toughest in the Pac 12. We'll see how USC does with that. Uh, then they will go to Colorado. Colorado's 15 and 1 on the season, 5 and 0 in conference. They've won 9 straight. They their one loss is to NC State like I mentioned earlier who uh is a top I think I think they're moved up to second or third this season or they're second or third fourth uh and you know they were second or third in the power rankings from on ESPN as well. Uh now that game they lost pretty handily. They lost by 15 20 points in that one. Uh but otherwise Colorado has been outstanding this season. Now, they played some tight games recently. The Utah game was pretty close, and then they were able to, to get a 10-point win out or 11-point win out of it. Arizona, they went to multiple overtimes and were able to win 75-74. Um, and then they were able to get a 12-point win over Stanford. I think that one was really – that one really stood out to me uh, in that game. 
but they have a balanced scoring attack. They do a little bit of everything. I mean, they got Aaronette Vonley down low. She is a beast. She, you know, is averaging 15 uh, per game. But the engine that drives the entire team is Jalen Sherrod. She is dynamic. She is a force to be reckoned with both on both ends of the court. She's averaging 13.8, but she gets wherever she wants off the dribble and then creates for her teammates. And then on the defensive end, she is an absolute pest uh, and someone the USC is going to have to have their eye on at all times to be able to take care of the ball. Uh, but they got two other double-figure scorers as well. Uh, what kind of stands out to you about Colorado? Where, where do you see USC kind of matching up with uh, with the with the Buffaloes? Well, when you look at Utah, it's pretty clear what they do really well. They score and they, and they rebound. Colorado, you look at some of the, the stats and nothing really jumps out to me like, oh, they do this really well. I, I think I'd have to start with defense. They play good defense and it's clear that they know how to win games being 15 and one, but nothing else statistic wise, like really makes you say, OK, here's where they're going to kill USC. In fact, one stat really makes me think USC has a chance in this one. Colorado, they're 295th in the country in three-point defense. If USC is hot from beyond the arc in this one, I think they'll have a great chance. And Colorado has shown that they haven't defended the three-point line very well. So out of these two games, I I, I kind of like USC's chances better at, at Colorado, even though that team is on top of the Pac-12 right now and they have done a better job of winning games against Utah. They've even beaten Utah, but – in my opinion, I, I think a team that defends really well and isn't as good on, on offense, that sort of is better for what USC wants to do because they defend so well and they're a little bit limited on offense just depth-wise. And I, I think Utah, if they get hot, they can outscore you, and, and that game makes me a little bit more nervous. We'll see what happens. USC probably, after me saying this, will beat Utah and lose to Colorado, so <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt. But just watching USC this year and looking at some of the numbers, I kind of like that Colorado matchup a little bit better for them. Now, the, the key, I think, will be if USC takes care of the ball because Colorado forces 18, nearly 19 turnovers per game, and they score 23 points per game off of turnovers. You give up 23 points in a top-five matchup, top-ten matchup, you, you're going to struggle to win most games. So if they can take care of the basketball, that completely changes things. Uh, and then you know, can you slow down Sherrod? She's, you know, she's just been dynamic all season long, and I think she's the engine that really makes it go. Uh, she's been averaging – uh, five and a half assists per game. So she creates so much for everyone else. You know, Frida Foreman can knock down threes. Maddie Nolan can knock down threes. Quay Miller can knock down threes. But if they're not set up by Jalen Sherrod, it makes it that much more, more difficult for them. So maybe we see Kayla Williams maybe a little bit more, just guarding her, you know, one-on-one, you know, being on-ball defender, picking her up uh, full court. Maybe we see that a little bit more. Maybe there's some other wrinkles that USC tries to, to throw at Colorado there, but should be a fantastic matchup once again. That one's going to be Sunday at noon. That one will be on Pac-12 Network, uh, the main Pac-12 Network. But this is – Honestly, this week would be worth signing up for that Fubo account or whatever, way more than USC versus San Jose State in football or USC versus Rice in football. Like this is much more compelling action, in my opinion. Uh, and I know some people will hate on that because we're uscfootball.com. And how could you say that about women's basketball over football? But top 10 matchup and a top 20 matchup, you know, this is much more compelling action than USC taking on. Rice and Nevada and San Jose State. I would much rather see 
former Trojan Alyssa Peely and you know her last uh, go around at home against the Trojans, see what she can do, and you know how USC can try to stop her. I think it's, it's going to be a fascinating uh, week of basketball. These games should definitely be closer than some of those football games you were just talking <laughs> about. So at least they got that going for them. But yeah, it, it is too bad that these are stashed on Pac-12 Network. I, I feel like Juju Watkins, her just reputation and, and her following that game against UCLA should have been on ESPN two in my, in my opinion. Um, but I, I know contractually it's all different. I look forward to a year from now when it's a little bit different in the big 10 and I think big 10 network, if you have the ESPN package on whatever cable subscription you get, you, you, you get that. So that makes a huge difference. It's too bad that these women's games are on Pac-12 Network. And I saw you tweeting about that in the past, Shotgun. I, I agree. I'm lucky that I have it, but do I get Pac-12 Mountain? I don't even know. So I'm going to have to <laughs> investigate after this. Depending on your uh, depending on your package there. Uh, but the uh, I tweeted during when it was announced that the men's team next week's game against UCLA will be on ESPN. Um, that ESPN messed up. They should have figured out a way to to switch that and get the women's game for ESPN. Would have would have been a much bigger draw, I think. But it should be interesting. We'll talk about that game next week. That's going to wrap it up for this episode, though, of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Please, once again, help us out. Like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on your favorite uh, podcast listening platform, and we welcome any of your feedback. You can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts this week? Beat Arizona State if you're the men. Get get back in the win column. Do whatever it takes. I'm tired of writing up these rapid recap loss articles, so <laughs> I'm looking for a win here. That's going to do it. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to USC Women's Assistant Coach Courtney Jaco for joining the show and everyone out there for taking the time to listen. And thanks to my co-host, Connor Morissette, for, for running that interview as well. Hopefully you all will join us for the next episode of the Triple Double Podcast.